beyond the new welcome listeners for the first time in what feels like for fucking ever Dwarf Celluloid, your premier podcast for the weird, the, stra- the strangest corners of the cinematic landscape. I am your host, Jack Rourke, with my esteemed, illustrious, far-out co-host, Chandler Williams. How's it going, Chandler? How's it feel to be back in the saddle again? Oh, it, it feels great, Jack. You know, summer's coming to a close, but uh, we're riding it out. Uh, I appreciate the, the hype, man. Uh, we've got a special guest with us here today. Here to introduce yourself, my friend. What's up, guys? Sorry. What's up, guys? Uh, I'm Nico. Uh, I guess I am the guest of honor and really excited to be here with you guys and do this, talk about some movies and talk about some stuff we love to watch, you know? Yeah, it's a blast. Once again, we bring in one of our film school buddies. It's it's just us and the boys, guys being dudes. Great friend of mine. Yep. And uh, uh, Nico, I know this was one of your favorite movies, so I wanted to uh, to have you on for this episode. And back in the saddle seems like the perfect way to and bring it in. So Chandler, without further ado, what movie are we going to be talking about today? Today we'll be talking about Rango. Welcome, amigo, to the land without end. Desert and death are the closest of friends. We sing of his courage in the magnificent song. But pay close attention, he won't be here long. Don't move. What? Don't move! Not moving! Shh! Not moving! Try to blend in. What? Blend in? What, 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 What do you mean? Blend in. Huh? But what, what, are you, what are you saying? <laughs> too late. No, no, it's not too late. I, I, I'm blending. I'm a blender. Ah. Hey, hey, calm uh, down. Uh, what are you doing? Tranquilo. Stop moving. <laughs> Try not to look conspicuous. <laughs> oh, here she comes. You better run, Mojito. You what? I thought you said don't move. That was before. Now, you run. Here in the Mojave Desert, animals have had millions of years to adapt to the harsh environment. But the lizard? He's going to die. You're a stranger. Strangers don't last long here. So I I don't think it's going to come as a surprise to any of us that this is a big, big place in our hearts, right? Totally. Oh, huge one. I was going to say, because I remember, I saw this when I was, I I can't remember if I was 10 or 11 at the time, it was right on the running cusp, but all I remember... I went in as soon as that Hans Zimmer score picked it or it picked up over the Paramount Pictures logo. I'm like, oh yeah, I'm in. I'm in. It is just such a strong setter of mood or in mood and tone. Or in very melodic. It almost reminds me of does anyone remember the movie Silverado? It was a western that uh, Lawrence Kasdan did in the mid-80s after working on Empire and Raiders. No. I don't I didn't see that one now. 
it has that or the same kind of or, or like vast writing or not so much what because this I think one of the things I love about the or this is that it just doesn't pull from one kind of western it pulls from all of them it pulls or it pulls yeah. from spaghetti westerns it pulls it pulls from newer westerns. It pulls from John Ford movies. It pulls even pulls from a Don Knotts or any stuff. I remember one of the, the the list of influence that Gore Verbinski had on this was pretty wide. Like El Topo was on there. The shakiest gun in the West was, which uh, it's an obscure Don Knotts comedy from what I don't know, sixties, sixty six, sixty seven. I feel like I feel like this film has everything. Like it, it's yeah. got the action, There's, adventure, the conspiracy. This is a children's movie. With it's references, Chinatown in it too, man. Yeah. The oh, what? yeah. You know what's funny is the or in the or in the turtle character played by uh, Ned Beatty in this. Who R.I.P. Yeah. R.I.P. Ned Beatty. Uh, he's modeled after John Huston's character from Chinatown. I yeah. I had so many notes about this uh this viewing talking about Chinatown because I j- actually just saw it a few weeks ago. And really? I'm like, oh, this is this is Chinatown. Good yeah, on you, like man. the whole that... conspiracy theory with the with the controlling water, everything. Controlling I was water, like, dude. yeah. Exactly. That is one hell of a movie to go in on fresh for the first time. Good on you, man. Oh, it was it was incredible. I I loved it so much. Um, and I was like upset that I hadn't seen it before, but it man, it it hit. And like, I, I was just seeing this film as like a my my letterbox review actually was Don Quixote meets Chinatown, which I would say this is like a that, yes. that would be a, a pretty solid like combination of two films in a uh, like a. a it's like Leone sometimes too with some scenes as well. It's like it's Ralph Steadman did, did the character designs for your children's film. Yeah, and the, guy did the, the guy did the illustrations for Fear and Loathing, the book. I mean, of, speaking of Fear and Loathing, yeah, that, that freaking reference, man. Oh my gosh, I was gonna say it was a joke I never would have gotten as a kid, but I'm like, oh my god, when I saw that. Yeah, that's <laughs> legendary. Yep, I you knew know, it. Speaking of which, you know what's one of the weird things this movie got shit for when it came out? The smoking. Or all the smoking. And granted, it's been a conversation that's been had over, like, what, I want to say the last decade, but especially in the last two or three years. Or it is whether or not smoking on screen is a dangerous thing. I mean, I'd say I don't, th- this point I mean, I don't think so. Movie. I think yeah, if but- you're a good enough parent, you can tell your children, hey, you see that on the screen? You probably shouldn't do it. Like. Yeah, and it'll- I feel like a lot of controversy with stuff like this is parents just refusing to own up to responsibility or in their own responsibility. Because at the end of the day, you chose to show them the damn movie. Exactly. Yeah. And hell, I didn't. Ma- or in hell, this movie didn't want to make me pick up smoking. Reading Hellblazer when I was a, or in it, when I was in high school did. <laughs> I can't. I didn't even notice too much of the smoking in this movie too. Yeah, like even is, as a kid or right now, I just it was just part of the whole aesthetic. Yeah. Yeah, it's especially ridiculous because it's just a background. Yeah, like what you were saying. Or you're saying it is, or it is just it's something to, right? And if I may lead to my next point, the one th- word that kept leaning, right, leaping to the forefront of my mind on this rewatch was texture. This movie yes. has a very, very rich sense of texture to it. Absolutely. The amount of detail on the animation and like the characters, like with the fur and the water and, and the scales and the cracks in the gra- or in ground and the barrenness of the sky. I, I think it's oh, honestly good. kind of a, a kind of a stroke of genius doing these with small animals because it right it makes the scope just feel yes, all the more massive. I completely agree. Like you would have like these large like like human scale like this. There's a great scene where like he gets to the other side. I guess I mean is the spoilers allowed to talk or yeah I totally. Guess, 
probably. Look, this so is like, what I'm going to Sorry. No, no, go. No, it's fine. It's fine. Come on, I'm no. just going to say spoilers are fine, especially for a movie that I'm safe in saying is this popular. Or regular, we might as well go. I think it's a, a given that, hey, either say this till you a- after you've seen it, or if you've seen it, go ahead and listen. Yeah. yeah what, what were you going to say, Nico? So, like, after he, like, goes to the other side and he talks to the, the Spirit of the West, which is basically just Clint Eastwood and just playing oh, golf. Yeah. <laughs> totally. awesome. The funny thing is, that's Timothy Oliphant. Right? Yeah. Spirit of the West, who does such a good Clint Eastwood impression that I honestly didn't even notice. I remember when I first figured out it wasn't Clint Eastwood, it was Timothy Oliphant, and I was just like, wait, what? That is, like, oh, awesome. Yeah. It's so awesome. It's, it's a good. A it's a great tip of the hat in both a literal and a figurative sense, because you know, cowboy hats. Yes. And like, but like the way that they use the 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 human objects. So like, there's a great scene where, like, this great shot where he's looking at this boat that's kind of been dried up, and it's just like a rowboat, but to him, it's just this giant landmark that's like a relic of the past. And then like the way that it's the spirit of the west with alabaster carriage and and golden guardians, and it's just. This dude with in a in a golf cart with like with Oscars, yeah, like the way that they kind of deconstructed legend in that sense, like you know, it's as part of the story, but like the way they use the scale from like the small animal characters to the human objects and what I thought it was like perfect. I was just really well done. Yeah, totally. Yeah, and, and like, especially... we go into his psyche in a way that normal children's films. Never really tried Never to do. do. Yeah. It, it, like it's not the, only psychologically probing, it plays with dream logic in a way that's fascinating. Just like the yes, exactly. Exactly. It's like it's we're in fa- we're in fascinating to, to watch and it's, it's, it's exciting, it's abstract, right? And it's amazing how puny everything feels and it's, it brings a greater focus to the existentialism. Yeah. Exactly. And, and like the, this is the least child um friendly child film i would say like well maybe not child friendly but like one of them it's I like say the movie child like movie for kids it's the most yes. mature possible thing outside of honestly the, you want to know what movie this reminded me of the most in her if we're talking recent or of its kind spike jones's version of where the wild things are yeah i i actually really agree with that i wish honestly such, a, such an adult approach yeah. to a child film. very mature yeah. like like and actually like, mature it's not just them saying fuck or there's gonna be over and over again or there's no, they're talking about deep no, themes and, yeah. and and existentialism and identity and they actually like go really hard into it. They're not just treating it, oh it's a kids movie, you know, we, we can It's kids, like, they'll eat anything up. We don't have to try <laughs> Which Exactly. Like they actually we're still like still seeing now. Uh, yes. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna linger on this too much, but every time I see trailers for like shit like that Space Jam sequel, I'm just Yeah, dude, <laughs> I I keep having fights with my friends over this because it's they're like, dude, one, it's a kids movie, like, and it's like, oh what? You're just gonna bash on like Pixar and and like, I'm trying not to sound angry about this, but because this does actually bother me. But people who say that kind of shit honestly should never be around children. First off, how fucking dare you assume that children can't handle that kind of stuff? No, because I remember yeah, exactly. when I was a kid, I was reading Watchmen when I was 12. I liked stuff that treated me as an adult. Or maybe not yeah. an adult, but at least treated me as a person who could think it, or who had complex feelings and emotions of their own. Which, oddly enough, like, is part of why I love that Where the Wild Things were a movie. You're, you're teaching these kids, and the most biggest thing is you're teaching these kids to grow up with these, like, 
horrible movies as and and they're gonna like grow up thinking this is like typical cinema like this is the cinema this is the movies that you should be into is that just mindless well, i mean i'm not saying we don't or kids shouldn't get mindless and silly or so it's just again balance yeah i think i think you should at least try with kids movies because you know like that's the- i get the whole idea but that doesn't excuse you from just being lazy you know yeah. And ultimately, again, the thing I want to highlight about what and why I find the whole you don't have to try to because it's a kids movie thing ring condescending is because oftentimes this is their first impression. Yes. Why not make something as good as you can right out of the gate? Exactly. I I mean, and I'm not saying oh things were better than when we were kids because let's be real, they fucking weren't. No, right. they weren't. Stuff like again, this and where the wild things things are, and well. As much as I hate saying it, the Pixar or movies, they're they're the they are the exception, not the rule. Yeah, I would agree. They, they, yeah, they they make the gold standard. Like they yeah. they and Fantastic they Mr. Fox. You, yeah, they they make you rethink Fox, the medium of children's films and like why why should they be constrained constrained to um like it's, elementary concepts and themes not a movie for kids but a movie kids can watch which was i think the guiding ethos uh, scorsese was using when he was making hugo which funny enough dropped right the same year as this from the same studio no less <laughs> very cool yeah. but yeah rango rango is pretty much for me like because i loved this movie when i was a kid like that's that's one of my arguments is that when i was a kid i loved this movie i thought it was strange i thought it was absurd but like it was funny as hell and and it was different it was Right. And the thing is, like, again, this can be forgotten with certain movies when they get popular and, or, you know, the whole film, bro, does the, or this kind of discredit thing. But when you go back and rewatch something, it's best to do with clear eyes, because when I came back with this, man, this thing is what or just on its own wavelength or in length at times, not just with those dreams, but with the characters, like everyone having like those weird bug guys. Yeah. Looks, again, it looks like Ralph Steadman just drawing like right, just spending a day out in, or in the Mojave Desert just draw. Or enjoying whatever wildlife he found, whatever animal yeah. he sees, just like it's exaggerated. Like that weird, like crack in Rango's neck, which always make me kind of squirm looking at it. But like, it's like Ralph Steadman made those drawings, but then someone am- animated them to yep. lifelike, you know, animation qualities, and it's it's so textured and stylized yeah. in a way that speaking that's like, of film row details, it's uh, so real. Did anyone notice a certain uh, certain name in those end credits, technical wise? He's talking Roger Deakins. I'm talking Roger Deakins. Oh yes, I. Yep. The shot Man. design in this movie is astoundingly good. I. And here's the thing. I think this has wonderful cinematography, and I wanted to touch on this because I was thinking about this with a buddy on Twitter recently. Is that good cinematography is not necessarily bright covers or in colors and how it looks st- in still or in stills. It's about texture. It's about lighting and shadow and how they all relate to- together. It has to kind of work as a or in synchronous. A sort of synchronicity, yeah, and which I think this does beautiful. No, it it's it's brilliantly done. I think like you have scenes like obviously like the dream sequences are perfect in my opinion. Like that whole like when he climbs into the tunnel, which also is the great giant wind up fish. Yeah, oh my god, that was the thing I associate most with this movie because I remember that being in the teaser, just like the run along the road and it just like floating around and just yeah, what the hell is this? It's definitely my favorite sequence is like that uh, that initial dream sequence. Yeah, where she's just standing amid all that white and blue, or blue is just 
emptiness. It's soul crushing, but it's fascinating to look at. Yeah, and and just everything the way it relates to the character and and to like the plot and the, how it's gonna foreshadow everything later from like him kind of drowning in the water, which was also part of the you know, the whole idea with water and Chinatown, what the the shit that's going on there. But I mean, and then it's my personal and grounded. Yeah. My personal favorite sequence, though, for me, is the whole Mad Max uh, moment uh, where they're getting chased. Oh, when chased they're out in the, the desert with the, with the hillbillies? Yeah. And, that and almost looks like the hills have eyes. <laughs> I can love That's it. Intense. Yeah, oh, yeah. I love Speaking everything of about it. Just from Rider the Valkyries, just, like, playing. Oh, yeah. You just see, like, the bats. The Apocalypse the Now references. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So good. It's so good. They have a toad. Literally reloading a shotgun like Terminator Two style, and it is yeah, freaking awesome, man. They just go over overkill on it, and I could not be for, more for it. Yeah. Honestly, it, that kind of stuff's all over the movie. And speaking of which, Chandler, uh, or MVP of the show, uh, Harry Dean Stanton is one of those hillbillies. Yes. Oh, really? Nice. Yeah, he is. Nice. And he's the blind. He's the blind one with the big floppy nose. Oh, I could see that. Wow. Wow. Oh, one of my favorite jokes is what is by him where. Um, they're like doing the whole Shakespeare play, and it's like they thespians, and like thespians. That's illegal in seven states. Yeah, it's <laughs> so funny. My my favorite bit was like this plot is entirely predictable. Hush, hush, hush. You're missing my favorite part. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the wordplay between ridiculous. characters is just great. It's almost kind of I want to say Robert Altman. <laughs> it's it's kind of self aware. Like even in the the opening it's scene, like, but not in a way that's obnoxious. Like it's literally, I'd say lit. No. It's part of the whole idea of the movie, you think. Like, it's trying to deconstruct the whole, like, mythic the hero, tale. The and, journey. Yeah. That's the hero's journey is how you find yourself in a world that where everything is just remnants. Like, a ra- revolved around you, basically. You but know? It, it does, like, the, the story does follow the hero's journey almost to a T. Yeah. It, a, it, it, that's it, the whole it, point, I think. Like, it's, it's deconstructing yeah. it, being super self-aware. And it, it just, that's part of what makes it so deep and so, like meaningful to me you know like the movie by by itself it could be a very fun story but the fact that it's so self-aware and it and it pokes you like it it keeps teasing you with with those moments where it's like who am i even the end which i know there's a trope in especially kids movies or that people like to make fun of or in one of them get annoyed by doug walker called the liar revealed when i get why people are annoyed in general but this i actually think it works because let's face it from the beginning it they or where else can the movie go? Or because again, you can't have a, or a movie with an existential journey without a kind of a complete undermining of said journey. Right, and I think that's part of his, his whole character arc too is trying to figure out who he is as a character. So he's trying to figure out what's his story, who is he as a person, and so the the whole story kind of just builds from there, literally. You know, like he's just existing in a he vacuum. He builds his persona, his alter ego. Right. Or his main ego, I guess. Yeah, like even in, even in the opening scene, like he he tells himself like, "Oh, well, who am I? Like, what 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 do I actually know?" Um, yeah. you know, like which is, I think, so referential to the hero's journey. And like, may it, I extrapolate on this opening scene? Because there, I wanted to get into something that I or that this movie does with, or in with the camera work and the CGI in terms of its storytelling or in telling that I just find riveting. Yeah. Right, that's whole sequence where he asks himself, "Who am I?" And just he draws the little, or right, the little rectangle, right, and go on his, t- on his, yes, right, tank, and right, right, the background just disappears behind him. It keeps changing, right, changing, right, lights and angles and shadow, right, and shadows. 
this movie realizes what Zack Snyder and Steven Spielberg have done for the last decade, where CGI doesn't have to just be okay just doing digital intermediates back there, and being on your bad guys right there. There is that you can, it basically frees you up entirely, and you can have the camera move any way you want, like in ways that are physically impossible. That I just find, like, why aren't more people taking advantage of it in this way? It's kind of. This is going to sound ridiculous, but I find it kind of liberating. Yeah, I, I would agree. Like liberating, uh, like you're within the constraints of reality. It's liberating. Like, for example, yep. like Deacons, what Deacons did with those final like sunsets, how the sunsets are just like immaculate, but in, yeah, those, not in a way that really rich red or, or like really like scorching red oranges. Yeah. And the clouds like it, it just looks so beautiful, but in a way that does not step outside of realism. Yeah. I, I think we mentioned up texture before, the way, the way things touch each other and just the scent. Sound, there's just, oh, it's, I'm trying to hold myself together, like, critically, but it's just hard for me to not re- reduce that to 11-year-old boy. Like, this is the coolest fucking shit I've ever seen. Yeah. like yeah, It's, it's a great example of, like, what makes something good is, like, everything being unified and cohesive. Synchronicity. Like design and yes exactly that 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 is how something that it can become stylized and like stylistically considered good a movie yeah. doesn't yeah. have to look and we were talking about that and it's still adhering to reality a movie doesn't need to adhere to the, whatever the we consider the real world to be just its own concept of reality that whole verisimilitude yeah, it's, it's own logic and its own world and it's its own rules it yeah. has to feel real and real and real it doesn't have to be real Real and this done, I was like, "Good God!" Again, I don't think a movie has captured dream or in a, a sort of nightmare or in free fall sti- state of existential on weed as well as hell. Most art house movies don't even do that, or in this as well as this does. Gore Verbinski, man, I, 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 I personally know. think Verbinski is super underrated too. Honestly, I do too. I do too. I mean, it, and that's something I never really realized until I mean, like looking back in the last few years because. Obviously, for guys like us, the Pirates of the Caribbean movies were big parts of our childhood, and even then, we can still at least name like at least one or two other movies he did that he liked. And that we like. And like my buddy, uh, friend of the show, Dylan, right? Cure for Wellness, and the, the, the Weatherman with Nicolas Cage. The oh shit, he did The Ring. I keep forgetting that. Yeah. Right, at least the first one. The sequel was someone else. Right, and also, right, hell, Mouse. Right, our friend of the show, Dylan Agatone, is a big fan of Mouse Hunt, which. It, like the most mean spirited live action con- cartoon made for families. Also, nice appearance from Christopher Walken. But if you ever think, I mean, the one really, the only real bomb in his filmography is The Lone Ranger. And even then, not a good movie, but an extremely well made movie. And its set pieces put a lot, honestly, a lot of the other bl- blockbusters we've been getting in the last 10 years to shame. Exactly. I mean, like, he's just got a good sense of his own style and it fits well with the whole blockbuster formula or whatnot, you know? Like, like most of the like time, yes. Like a swashbuckling yes, Terry Gilliam. Yeah. It reminds me so much of, like, and not just, like, in regular Terry Gilliam, like, specifically Terry Gilliam in, like, Adventures of Baron Munchausen, like, Time Bandits mode, where he's got that real swashbuckling mode with a really strange, like, warped up eye that is at times in delirious and times endearing and times fast, and all the times fascinating. Yeah. He's, and honestly, he's, and we need more guys like him working in the day, and yeah, I mean, he's right. just creative, and, and he, he, yeah, like, he's... You know like, who's going to do a Bioshock movies? movie at one point? 
Bioshock? Yeah, the video the video game. He was going to do oh, one? Cool. Yeah, he was going to make a mo- movie out of it. Here's the thing. You can look online. that or The, the script is going to be funny enough also by John Logan, who wrote the, or this, but it was or going to be big in scale. Or in a scale, it was going to be dark. It was going to be, and I mean dark, dark, and adhere to like the objectives, philosophies of the game. Or in the game, it was going to have or in some really or interesting takes on the creature design. And the ultimate problem was money. And it's funny you mentioned Mad Max earlier. That I have a theory that if this movie had just been developed with this guy in mind, just like a few years later, it would have gotten the funding because of or in Fury Road and Deadpool. Because this was in that really unearned brief window of time where already in blockbusters were just dead. I mean, yeah, like, obviously, we still got mid-budget movies for adults, but right, like, in terms of like, like big-budget action, right, movies, you either right, got stuff, right, that like, just like a few theater, or a few theaters, or eventually the direct-to-video market. Ugh. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think this was, I think this was the perfect scale, though. I don't, I don't, I don't think yeah. it, it could have been any um, bigger and like have positive qualities because like, there's a lot of action sequences that are really extravagant and like obviously extravagant in a way. That I like, think again that took a lot of money to make. Yes, it's um, funny because uh, you mentioned money. This was not supposed to be this big of a thing because the final edit, or in production cost ended up being I want to say 135 million. Or in a check, I don't know. Someone pull up Wikipedia. Right, but the point is, or right, Gore literally only took it to studios because he ran, or right, he almost ran out of money. Mm-hmm. Right, this was almost an entirely independent production, which I find kind of fascinating. I like that Nickelodeon. Uh, Happened to be, yeah. Out of all like the studios, it was Nickelodeon. All, like, and they actually got an Oscar like, out of it too. Yeah, I think it's one of the few non-Pixar movies to win a or a best animated feature Oscar outside. Of, okay, let's see. There's this. There's Spider Verse. Or did and Fantastic, what else? Did Fantastic Mr. Fox do one? Did Miss Oscar? Uh, no, one? it did not. That or in that year it went to Up. Hang on. And this is what we call doing or in Google searching during the show. DreamWorks got one right. One, yeah, I think it was. Sh- I think actually, Shrek was the first one to win. I think Shrek. I thought How to Train Your Dragon might have won one of them. It did not. That was Toy Story three. That. Hang on, let's see here. Let's go through the count. There's one, two. There's Shrek, Studio Ghibli, or in Spirit Away. Fuck, I mixed it up. Wallace and Gromit, Curse of the Were Rabbit, Happy yeah. Feet, or in Rango, or in Into the Spider Verse, and that's it. What's funny is that they're all like, like some of the best animated movies we all praise, like that have come out as of late. Honestly, and besides Shrek, which you know still is. I mean, know. Shrek's still good for the memes, and I admitted this before on the show, and I'll say it again. That was like the first movie I saw in theaters, at least according no, to my I dad. Loved, I mean, I, was, I loved Shrek growing up. No, I mean, Shrek is awesome. You know, yeah, Shrek is, or it still has good elements of, of it, but it's kind of hard. I don't know. It's kind of hard to separate from the meme. Not that it makes it bad, but it makes it kind of hard to parse. Yeah, like it's hard to like cross into that post-ironic like frame where it can yeah. still exist as a meme while also being like this really great. It's tr- like trying to watch Masters of the Universe in a post-ironic way, or an after all the fucking Skeletor memes. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Also, just like how do I how do I uh, displace yourself from that? But I mean, like going back to our childhood, I would not have connected with this movie if it came out like three years later. Not, not in the same way. We were like 10 or 11 when it came out. It's so like that, that, was, that was the perfect time for us to see this. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm glad it came out when it did, honestly. Sometimes it happens and, the, and you just get movie magic. As cliche as the phrase is. 
And it's it's it just the fact that it holds up so well even today. Like you can I can definitely see this being released in today's world. Like and nothing would seem like dated or um yeah. you know I, I, I feel like jokes. And a few jokes, I, yeah, but I mean, there's a couple of iffy race jokes and jokes at the expense of the crow, or a crow. But even then, I feel like those are, are like true, just yeah. small enough to go or to go unremarked upon. A lesbian joke, I feel like, wouldn't fly today. It yeah. probably wouldn't actually. Like, well, is it the bit um, where the fox, where the where beans and the fox are just are in, in, insulting each other? I think I'm someone not sure. would get offended. Tart like, flu. It's when they're doing the play, and then it's like there's lesbians, lesbians. And it's it's such a nothing of a joke. I don't think people would ma- matter. It, it's literally just the words sound the same. People, I think if anything, it's just making fun of the fact that that exists. Yeah, it's just the words sound the same. That's yeah. literally all there is to the joke. Yeah, like, I, I it still got me to chuckle. Even this this viewing, yep. got yeah, got chuckle well, at me. A lot of the fun or in the humor in this. Yeah, I mean, yeah. There's a key occasional cr- or in crassus up. All right, so I like the cactus fruit being a lax and whatnot. But a lot of it is just around the word wordplay. Or like I want a urine sample from everyone in this room and a and a, and a medium latte. Don't mix up the two. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, it's yeah. it's so sharp and clever. And, and performing, man. When was the last time Johnny Depp was this good in a movie? I was going to talk. Yeah, Johnny Depp. You could see like behind good. the scenes. Like he's only way. good with these eccentric, eccentric, like wacky out there characters. No, he can be. I I'd argue he can be good. Like. I, but even then, a it requires a certain person to rein him in, and whether it be Ryan Gorbinsky or Tim Burton or Terry Gilliam or whoever else, or else, and even then, it needs to be a sort of inspiration and a broader thing going on. No, but I'm saying he's so good at these, like just way out there characters. And speaking he's of Johnny Depp westerns, I think I like his performance here for the same reason I ran like Dead Man. It's that awkward vulnerability, or like that kind of nervous laugh he does at point. Or it's like. <laughs> Right. Or yeah. The way- yeah, like that. Yeah, I, w- I would say Dead Man would be an exception because that character is not too like out there. Yeah, in the I mean, the, it's more everything and around. Hands or Jack Sparrow. You know what? You know what's funny is that's like yeah. a movie where he's where he's like the one normal person in a world where everything around him is just strange. Yeah. Right. Possibly speaking, because it is. Damn, a- I need to rewatch that. That's a, that's a fantastic film. Nico, you ever seen Dead Man? No, I have not actually. Black and white acid western from Jim Jarmusch with a score by Neil Young. That is all you need to know. I'm so... And also metaphysical stuff. I shall. I'm gonna watch it then. Oh. Yep. It, it's 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 fantastic. Yeah. But, if um... I may stay on the subject of existentialism, I'd like to. I find some of the movie that the satire this movie has about or like certain sects of America. Uh, to be really funny, especially, or namely the bit where they're all lining up to, to do the li- sort of religious ritual for the water. Yeah, they're, like, they're doing like a line dance to fucking cool water. <laughs> that was so funny. And then he's just there, like, "What's going on?" When she he, slaps him, he wrecks an old just, lady just to get her job. <laughs> punches her right in the face. <laughs> that was yeah. awesome. And the way and the way politicians kind of co-opt religion just to gain favor of the people under false pretenses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Pretty now, I mean, obviously not a new observation, but a really cutting one to make in this kind of movie. Absolutely. Yeah, I completely agree there, too. I think at one point he even says, Acolytes! Bring the what's or whatever. And I was like, it's a pretty clever word to use there. You know? Because, like, I don't know. I just felt like that was Incidentally, I need I remind y'all, Clint Eastwood is God in this universe. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he is. 
Well, the, well, the lore works in mysterious ways. I did, I did like though that, like, I mean, it was, yeah, he, like, it was like very mysterious and and like ethereal. Um, but like once he got there, it was you can pretty much see it's just this guy like with a metal detector just looking for stuff. It, the nice, right, the nice thing about, right, and we don't even know if he's real or just a, right, a figure in his mind, or a minor sort of shared hallucination, which. I like how vague they keep him when, while still being a, a part of the story that you just can't cut out. Yeah, like the magical realism, like that—that's how I kind of saw it. As part of like the story, like the armadillo just being like cut in half in the row. Oh, yeah, there's parts of this that that's just look like Salvador Dali paintings. Yes, like I, I mean, I, I'm curious really of like the way that. things are spaced out from each other. And it never right. takes you out of the movie too. Like it always feels like it's a part of the the world. It, it enriches your audience. We flow into the surrealism so smoothly. Everything flows together, or which everything or in Texas, like because there's everything is distinct, but also has rich deep, you know, which is such a hard thing to do, with, especially when you're doing characters with this or in much or in much lines and edges and angles and weird or in weird textures and stuff like that. It's hard to make everyone feel distinct, and yet it manages to do that. I know, man. I mean, it's also lol with the spider being a mortician. Yeah, I love that <laughs> yeah, whole right. moment. And the, and the weird ass toothy grin it has with the fucking with the guitar plug right there, like like so many like anthropological jokes that just had to be made, and they were they were okay. so great. Also, this is gonna sound so cliche, but I think this is the ultimate denouement of one of why I wanted to do this episode, guys. This movie just reminds me of home. It really, oh, yeah. really just the way it captures the desert, and and no, not just because of the twit or your list at the end where they are established to be in a kind of situated outside of Las Vegas or in Vegas, but the way it talks about how much drought or in droughts are out there and how bo- or how it feels like even though you're living in te- what's technically a major city, you still or feel like you're just on the outskirts where nothing is happening with nothing to look forward to and nothing to lo- or nothing to look up to. Or, so it captures that sort of existential angst really. Or in, in that specific location, it hit me like a lightning bolt. I'll say that. Yeah, Jack. I can. I I can imagine that like movies set in Vegas like hit you differently because you're from there. They yeah. all they're either really hit me well or they're just or, or annoy me or frustrate me. Again, it's always set on the fucking strip. Ever no. Yeah. Which this doesn't. Which I mean, yeah, you get a glimpse of it, but it also it it's the colors. It's the way everything look. Or it feels the people you talk. No, dude, it feels like everyone's out in their own little bubble. It's just these valleys of ghost town. This movie reminds me of honestly a lot of the scat trips I would have taken as a kid or any kid around the same age, just hiking through the desert late at night. To talk talk about that, though, like I I kind of agree, like how because living in Miami, like sometimes movies would be set there, and it's always interesting to see how the movie portrays Miami. So I can kind of relate to how, like, either one, you like love the way it's kind of portrayed. Um, you're like, oh shit, that's cool, and or like okay, when now. it's like a little Easter egg, like in Iron Man three, how there's just this one sequence that just has to, that happens to take place both in the the Vizcaya, which is like this huge mansion, um, and uh, like Miami, like downtown area where you I usually go boating, and then they, there's a stuff where it's like super annoying where you're not really showing Miami at all, like it's just like the imagination of the figment. Of Miami, yeah, yeah, first sign yeah. that they had to do just to change it, like right how right how you might shoot interiors in one location and then have the exterior be in another. Right? Exactly, it's just really annoying. It's just like, dude, yeah, what? 
Also, um, I got a question. Man, have you seen Miami Vice? Mixie Hammond, man. I need to watch that. The I movie and the show? Too. Okay, like, we're going to have to talk about that off the mic. Because I have questions. Oh, boy. Oh, All right. Oh, God, the bit with – lol, Chandler just sent something into the Discord chat. It's just a gif of, right, of the bit in the beginning where he's playing with the – like, the the oh. weird headless, like, doll. Right, the, the bitch is like, oh, you're I know couldn't help but you noticing me, noticing you, noticing me again. Are those real? And he makes her <laughs> slap him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love it's that. just so rich. Oh, yeah, the, Victor, the you were wooden. So there, rich. I said it. Man, and then the way that they just leads into like, like it's a like, conflict. That's what I need. Yeah, and then he's straight out of his comfortable little existence. Yeah. That everything. Completely by the way, happy. one thing about that opening, man, people are in down here in Nevada drove like fucking psychopaths sometimes. That is probably my favorite sequence. Changing my answer is like when he falls out of the car and there's Ave Maria slow motion. Not- literally shattered like yeah and like he's still on the, the little uh glass printed piece of um yep of like sky like sliding across the concrete like that's that it just looks so satisfying yep. and the like, use of so, slow motion and the contrast between the key, right, peace in the midst of chaos and the, just the silence once right all the right, destruction is finally over and he is just abandoned it's, yeah, yeah, like the sound of that is so great. It's like, yep. And also, like the little, um, like the little warp cues that you get, you get when Beans always just kind of goes blank. I love that so much too. Like, I love the way they used it so much in the movie, like to kind of further the the plot and you know her character development. Because, like, and at first it's just you know, oh, he's there, and then there's like a great moment where he just like puts his arm around her, and then she. Completely unfreezes right then and there, and you're just like, "Oh, yep." Like, but, Wait, what are you doing? I don't know. What you're, what are you doing? You, you you're cuddling me. You, you're doing <laughs> thing. Actually, that's the difference. I have it. You know what's funny is we mentioned this earlier that we're <laughs> with the spirit of the West being we're gonna stand in for Clint Eastwood. But right, you know what's funny is I think the movie would have worked even if that wasn't the case, or in case because it's or established as just a vague enough spiritual thing. Or anything to where it could be anything, but the fact that it is Clint Eastwood just feels like the perfect punctuation mark. Yeah. Oh like, yeah. Because he's a legend. He's the. That's man. not even the only tip. It keeps it grounded right. in like Western, like Knowledge. lore. It's lore a, it's a, again, a tip yeah. of the hat. A lovely exactly. And speaking of exactly. Hat, let's get to one of my favorite characters in the whole movie, Rattlesnake Jake. Yes. Bill Nye. Oh my gosh. Funny enough, it's funny that this came out like a year before Django and Shane because this is all, and this also has a bunch of references to Django in it. The fact, or the fact that he's wearing the black hat or a hat with his tail or with his rattle being a mini gun, that is fan. Which that, man, that's so that is just such a- awesome. Oh god, everything. And, and the fact that he's bad. got the little mustache, like the little pencil thin mustache above his lip, where he lived, like, and it's like, where he like scorched into the scales, uh, the details. And his eyes, dude, his eyes, you know, like. Texture everything on everything. About that it plays with the Western, I mean, the standard Western dialogue cliches in fun ways too, especially with him. I mean, go to hell. Where do you think I came from, darling? Where do you think I come yeah. from? Look oh into my, my gosh, eyes. it's so great. It's creepy, like legitimately terrifying. Dude, and the, yeah, Bill Nye is perfect in that in that role. Like, 
Well, he's Bill Nye. He's perfect in everything. Like, just the tinge of Davy Jones, but as a cowboy instead. I feel like no one really does this kind of, like, silent, scowling intimidation the way Bill Nye does. Whether it's Davy Jones or or even some of his other appearances or things. And the closest thing I can think of is, man, I hate referencing something this recent, but the Green... Or Ralph Innocent's work in The Green Knight. Well, that's a more somber version of it. It's it's playing a very similar note. Yeah, like when he's entering the the church, or yeah, was it the church? Or I'm not sure, but when he's entering that area, the the tunnel, yeah, and then everything just like all the lights just come off, no noise, just like heavy footsteps, and he's just like, like Ralph, Ralph Innocent, just like, yep, deep growling. That man's voice. I don't. I don't think a human voice can go any further deeper than that. Besides, or like, like you know what's funny is, or I think right, if someone was casting him for something, I can't remember what movie this was. Was they were worried that they would have to shift his or the point of his voice down to make it sound more intimidating? Like, oh no, we're good. Right, that's just what he, how he sounds. All the voice actors were just so on point for this film. Yep. Yes, and their, their direction was so perfect. Speaking of the ways that this movie bucks trends from other family movies is. You ever notice that thing in pretty much every animated movie since Aladdin or so, where if a movie has, like, a big or a big-name movie star or celebrity, it's going to be at the forefront of the marketing at every fucking opportunity? This movie doesn't do that outside of Johnny Depp's name on the poster. It, it doesn't, or like, they actually have them be actors, and no, no, I'm here to play a role. Well, I'm not just here to, or to show up and collect a paycheck. If you actually watch the way that this movie was made behind the scenes, you can see, like... They didn't also they didn't do motion capture. They actually um they actually shot the scenes like just with the actors in their normal setting or whatever, kind of like a like a play but like a rehearsal. And then they would just record the voices and they would shoot the shots like the way that it would imagine the shots being shot, right? So that way wow. you can see like the actual emotion, the way the actors it's would portray mo- themselves. That's so clever. Animation than rotoscoping. Exactly, and which I. Huh. That is you gotta crazy. look it up, dude. It's 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 really fascinating how they they shot it. Like it allows, I think, the actors to actually feel in the space and interact with uh, all the other actors. Yeah, you rather know. than just like doing an ADR equivalent recording, yeah. which I I feel like would be very uncomfortable as a voice actor. Yeah, yeah especially well, even being put in motion capture suits too. Yeah, I know. Yeah. We're- I know we're talking about DC Comics shit, or any, like before we were started recording. But that just reminds me: Have you guys ever seen any of the behind-the-scenes stuff for Batman: The Animated Series? Because if you see Mark Hamill behind the microphone as the Joker, he lays into it like he's like moving his hands around, around got that twinkle in his eye. I was like, man, voice acting is acting. You just don't. I mean, you just see, right, have to kind of imagine part. Of, well, yeah, part you, of, like, you just have to do the lines out of context. Yep. Yeah, but like that's part of the whole like Space Jam two thing for me, where you have Zendaya as uh, Zendaya but, Zendaya, and you want to know what's even shittier than that? Not only did the voice actress who originally did Lola Bun- or Bunny already have all her lines recorded for this, they did the same damn thing they did for the first one, and not allow any of the voice actors for the Looney Tunes to show up to the premiere because it was for, and I quote, the real movie stars. What? I'm not even Dude. fucking kidding. Go look that up. That's what? Stupid. Fuck Space Jam and fuck its sequel. That's so lame. Wonder mm. Brothers. Hey, honestly, y'all have nostalgia for a movie based on a goddamn Nike commercial. That's not even the best, like Looney Tunes, like like um, 
movie. I was gonna say Joe Dante made a great Looney Tunes movie with back in action. Back Marking in action, off yeah. The past. It's so disgusting. Great. Yeah. The sad like, thing is, action is Space way better than Space Jam, in my opinion. Uh, I mean, I'm using it. I'm using it just as a low point, like a nadir. Like obviously they're, and that's kind of sad. Like if this isn't the only thing of its kind. But that said, it does kind of make the random gems like Rango and Where the Wild Things Are and Fantastic Mr. Fox and, and Into the Spider Verse just just all the more, more well, it makes them stand out all the more. Yeah, like Spider Verse and, and Rango and those movies should be like the, put on the bar, not they are rightly put on pedestals. They are right. Like they shouldn't be an exception. They should be a bar to try to reach for, or at the very least, you know, like have some creativity. You know, like. I, again, like with kids' movies, man, like you can have movies that are really like Spider Verse is even like the so, gold standard, like, in my opinion. It's the gold star. Sorry, God. Accessible, man. Even if you're doing candy color or any color junk food, the Lego movie is still better than half of this bullshit. Exactly. It's funny I think, I think they just color. try to market it, but I think they just try to make it as like wide as they can, like easily accessible to everyone, and then it just dilutes the art. Focus, focus groups are the death of cinema. They really. Oh, are. absolutely. Like, man, yeah. fuck, fuck, focus groups, bro. Like, that's <laughs> fucked. Mark, fuck marketing departments that or that just pointed char- charts all day. Like, no, things matter other than numbers, guys. It's funny is that back in action, talking going back to that because I watched that recently. Has a great joke about like. How Daffy Duck, his numbers are just so low, so they basically fire him from Warner Brothers. I was gonna say it's not like I haven't kept myself trim. I mean, I read you, there's a joke in the, you guys have seen the Duck and Monk cartoon, the one where the animator is just fucking with Daffy the whole time. I've not. I don't think so. It's on HBO. It's on HBO. I'll send or I'll send you the name or in the chat. But point. It reminds me of a joke they were talking about where where they treat a cartoon character like a movie star or the Condra. It's like it's not like I haven't appeared in enough pictures or kept myself. Oh big. yes. Yes, I, I know what you're talking about. Yep. Or that kind of thing. And also, speaking of Looney Tunes back in action and nostalgia, how good is it to see Brendan Fraser back in things again? Yeah. I, I, that man deserves everything, dude. I, I, I guess it, it was nice to see him in No Sun and Move, too, where he's, he's literally just in his Orson Welles in Touch of Evil mode, and it is glorious. No Sun and Move? Yeah, no. So that's the new Soderbergh movie. Yeah, go. I I saw that. I was I was gonna say I was I saw that recently. I loved I loved him in that, and I loved that movie too a lot. Like, Chandler, if you want if you want a slow burn, no frills crime movie, go watch that. Okay, it's Soderbergh. I'll check it out. You know, directed Soderbergh. by Soderbergh. Just written, written and shot by Soderbergh, and edited. Actually, I don't think it was shot by him. I think, it, although he, do it has a style a lot in that movie. Yep. You, you kind of see like the lens. Is like very fisheye. Yep, heavily. Really, That's it's good. got that old. It's got that like I'm. Gl- I love him when he, when he still shoots with the in two to thirty five because he uses it so well. Yeah, and uh, it's it's definitely his movie. You can really see it like when you watch it. I I appreciated watching that movie because it's just it, it was accessible and like he was really. Yeah, I don't know. I I, I like that movie a lot. What's wrong about the uh, writing? That or the credit for that goes to Ed Solomon, who, funny enough, right now, also wrote Men in Black and Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. He Ed wrote Solomon's that under- movie. Yeah, Ed Solomon's an underrated screenwriter. Wow. Anyway, I mean, I feel like this is a good segue as any to go into uh, 
What have you guys seen recently? Anything else worth mentioning? I finally saw Hereditary, um, and I thought it was good. I, I feel like I would have liked it a lot more if I saw Had you seen it during the initial hype wave? Like, having not seen mid Yeah, I think I would have liked it a lot more. But I, I, it, felt, it felt too much like Midsummer for me. I'd agree, except I've done that with some stuff, and then my opinion felt... No, and I just it make it puts me into a, a kind of mini crisis where I wonder how authentic my reaction actually is. Like, did I like this because I really loved it, or I, was I just coasting off the hype with everyone else? Right. That's something. Although yeah. I will say this, I'm with yeah. Chandler on Midsummer being better. I I haven't seen that movie honestly. I I've just been described so much of what. It's an artsier version of The Wicker Man, more or less. It's. An... Yeah. And, I kind of wish uh, they got that thing from the trailers, though, where they made the aspect ratio white. We just got a giant to rewatch things, and uh, we watched nice, both Blade Runners. Nice. And this viewing of the original Blade Runner was the first viewing that actually... floored you? ...film is incredible. Because prior, I was like, okay, yeah, it's, it's a nice, you know, sci-fi 80s... Oh gosh, it, it did. Um, so yeah, that that happened. So like, we're cutting from that. Like, like, wow, wow. I just like truly understood the scale, the hype, but like how grounded that film is. Um, so yeah, Nico, what about you? What's up? What have I seen? Yeah, yeah. Go uh, ahead. Uh, I haven't seen that much recently, to be honest. Um. I mean, thought Jungle Cruise, meh. Just you know, yeah. It's exactly what you would think it is. Poor man's attempts at swashbuckling adventure. It's basically the Mummy and Pirates of the Caribbean combined with none of the the creativity. It's just the Africa. And the Rock. I don't even get me started on the Rock, man. That dude. That dude is so talentless. He's not talentless. It's just he keeps getting cast in the same role over and over. Again. He's never, yeah, he's never really actually acting. I want to see him do something like Pain and Gain again. Or like something where he's actually taking chances. The problem is he stopped. He's like, the guy's got charisma. He's just, no one's using it in a way that's interesting anymore. I don't know why people pay him so much, too. Like, what are you paying him to do? He's just being himself. Because he's teenage girls movie. on Instagram really, really like him. For what? He's so old. And, and like, I don't it's know. It's the Facebook moms, too. The, the Facebook moms is what they're marketing to. Shit, you're right. <laughs> Damn it. Freaking hell. It's like, if you well, want a good we... version of, of Jungle Cruise, just go watch The African Queen with Humphrey Bogart and Catherine Hepburn. That re- still really holds up. What was that um, jungle-like movie with Harrison Ford? And I think River Phoenix. The Mosquito Coast? Yes, yes. I've heard a lot of good things about that. Romancing was actually here. Right, it would make, you want to know what the African Queen would make a great double feature with? Romancing the Stone, the Robert Zemeckis Jungle Adventure. That that really holds up. That is that the one with Harrison Ford. Is that, is that what you just said? That is that that is with Michael Douglas and Kathleen Turner, okay. and Danny DeVito, one of his early roles. Cool, cool. I will say, if we can talk about TV, though. Um... I've been watch. I've been starting to go back on watching. Uh, if you guys have seen it, Better Call Saul. Ah, oh, I still need to catch up on that and Breaking Bad. It is so good, and I think honestly, 
in a lot of ways, it might be better than Breaking Bad. Like wow. it's slow burn. It's much more slow burn than Breaking Bad, but it's it's got so much. It's it's got so many more mature moments than Breaking Bad. Like it, I feel like it's Vince Gilligan just like perfectly like in his element and in, in that in that show like complete moral ambiguity and and you know character moments that just you don't they don't say anything and you know exactly what's going on. It's just really can't go good. wrong with Bob Odenkirk. Bob Odenkirk is a freaking legend, man. I thank God he's all right right now, dude. I was gonna like, say that wasn't he like in a car accident or something? No, he collapsed on set because he had, I think, he had a heart attack. Wow. Jesus Christ. Yeah, but he, he he survived. He's fine now, and man, like he's he is fantastic. He is one talented dude. Yep. Like he can play comedic and dramatic so well, effortlessly. It's and switch between the two on the same, and sometimes play them in the same note. Exactly. It's it's. I I think that's one one of the feelings that this, or if we're gonna wrap things right up here, that this movie gives me is when something is doing so well that it feels like it's conducting a symphony. Right, that is where like where it just yeah. feels completely effortless and just flowing. That just God, it makes me or it gives me such a rush when I see that in a movie. Yeah, I mean this movie is just it, it's got its own tone, man, and it's and fucking I appreciate Rango, it. man. It's fucking, it's fucking Rango. Fucking Rango. Blam blam. What would you guys give this as a rating? A pr- I, I, at least a nine. It's a. I say a nine. I give us a ten, man. Yeah. I, and there ain't no shame all, in that, partner. Ain't no shame indeed. It's pers- it's personal bias for sure, but like, I mean, there's really nothing wrong with this movie or anything that I would say like lessens it at quality wise. Like, I I I'm pretty comfortable giving this like a ten. It's one of the best animated movies that has been made recently, and it's I, it touches a I personal mean, base for me. For me, like it, it really speaks to me personally on so many levels. I I love it. That's awesome. That's yeah. awesome, man. I re- and if I may wrap this or this up on a note, no, we're talking about or how animation is different of all over the years and specifically kids movies. That reminds me of a quote that uh Gore Verbinski himself gave or gave during the interview. Views in terms of how this movie stacks up into its contemporaries. <clears throat> there are shackles with the budget; it's in the profit margins. You get, want to compete with their, what they're doing at P- Pixar and DreamWorks. There's a price tag with that, and just in terms of achieving that quality level, what happened to the Ralph Bashies of the world? We're all just sitting here talking about family entertainment. Does animation have to be family entertainment? I think at that cost, yes. There's the bullseye you have to hit. Right, but when you miss it by a little bit, and you do something interesting. The bullseye is going to move. Any audiences want something new; they just can't articulate what. Actually, wow, really interesting. That's beautiful. Great, yeah, that is Man. awesome. Great note to end I, on. Yeah, I'm gonna, if I can find that interview after, right after we right, stop recording, I will send that to you in, in a heartbeat. That I love when that, artists that, reference other artists in that, yeah, like in that way, you know. Me too. Like, they, 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 and it's not it, condescending it, either. Right? It's just okay, I understand this is popular right now, but where do I fit in that ecosystem? Yeah, like referencing um, Bakshi. Yeah, which man, or Nico? If you aren't familiar with Raph Bakshi, you have a or you have a treasure trove of weird shit waiting for you. I I need to I need to get on it then. I already. And with that, on that note, I'll wrap things up. You can find me and Chandler on Letterboxd, or in a box in the in our links below. You can find us on or in the show on Twitter at Warp Cellular. 
Brent Lloyd and uh, Nico, you got anything you want to plug? Um, I mean, I got my letterbox too. If you're following them, if you're following you guys, uh, you could probably follow me too. I think. Um, the link to which will also be in the bio for this, or in, well, description for this episode. Social media has just poisoned my brain. Probably poison mine brain too at this point. <laughs> All of our brains. Yeah. Hit that like mine button. Mine poison subscribe button. Mark Zuckerberg, what have you done to my brain? Yeah. Smash is- that like button. <laughs> Litterbox is the only healthy social media, I think, or at least yeah, mainly because it's and you can actually write deep and intel intellectual thoughts about how this film speaks to the human condition, and then you just shit post. Yeah, a there's yeah. a healthy Chandler. <laughs> men contain multitudes. <laughs> anyway, Indeed. speaking of which, would you like? Is there anything you want to plug? Oh, I do have a short film coming out um, that I did last spring. Uh, Nico was a part of it. And, um, nice. yeah, it'll be out hopefully by the end of the week uh, at the time of this recording. So, it, As do I, which it has be been out. delayed, I'll admit. I'll admit. We're going to do some other details. We're still tr- struggling to find a composer, but it will be out with, by the end of the year. I promise that much. I will say also, I guess if I'm plugging stuff, I will say I have this film, this short film coming out. Um, I mean, I don't know how I'm going to be premiering it. I'm, I'm kind of just in limbo with it right now, but... Um, I'm working on it, you know, trying to see what else I can improve on it, and then I'll probably put it up somewhere for all you guys to see, and then um, and, and we'll yeah, be happy to promote it wherever, whenever that comes about. Yeah, if there's anyone that um, you know is in Savannah, you know, hit me up. I'll, I'll be a first AD. I was a first AD on this set me and Chandler were on, and felt pretty good about it. It was pretty fun. So, if there's anybody who needs a first AD on their set, just hit me up. Shameless plug, right. but whatever. <laughs> no, you're good. You're good. You gotta, you know, gotta keep that hustle. Eh, it's an ocean of garbage. We all yeah. gotta be, we all gotta try to be the diamonds that rise up to the surface. Yes. Exactly. Much like Rango. That was not as cool as I thought it would be. No, you should have, you should have just like hard cut right there. Like that's where you like rank, right? and it cuts to like that that fucking Uncle Sam thing, but it's Rango and like the cowboy nuts <laughs> pointing. I want you. Anyway, that wraps it up. Thank you for listening, everyone. Stay grooving.